installment of the Yummy Coco Show. This is a pop culture variety show for your ear holes with sketches, music, interviews, and games. I'm your host, Yummy Coco, aka Colette Prosper. I'm a writer and filmmaker. On this show, we talk about everything from WandaVision to taking long walks. Uh, but today, we're going to get deep with a chat about Haitian Creole and culture. And later for games, we're going to be doing a fun spelling bee. Um, so you might be asking why I'm focusing this episode on Haiti, um, which is not necessarily pop culture, but then it is. It, it actually really is. Um, from a ton of books from uh, Graham Greene's The Comedians to authors like Edwige Dandika or Roxane Gay. TV shows like Grand Army on Netflix and Orange is the New Black had um, Haitian characters, also The Boys on Amazon. Um, oftentimes, uh, these characters disappoint me in their depictions. Um, Haiti and its people, it's all of very hard culture to uh, get right in Hollywood. Uh, you know, it's a Latin American country, but then it's also a black country. We have many traditions that have been brought over from Africa, but then we also have Eurocentric and Latin customs as well. Um, but before we get into it, let's hear a sketch. It's called Yummy Coco Presents Oprah with WandaVision. Um, it's a sketch about an epic interview where there's no subject that is off limits. Sadly, Harry and Meghan could not be at the taping, but they were certainly there in spirit. Let's find out. Sketch. of a century. Wanda and Vision sit down with me, Oprah, and my good friend Gail's pergola to set the record straight. Just the three of us. Wanda, were you silent or were you silenced? After millions flamed your ghost kitchen on TikTok. I mean, the reverse happened. The comments made me cry, so I made them cry. Apologize! Sounds like there was a breaking point. So many trolls trashing your food. I don't know how any of this started. It began with you using so many beets and hot dogs in all your food. Why would you do that? As you know, Oprah, I grew up in communist Sokovia. It was a rough time, and I can only cook using my memories. We really liked beets and hot dogs. But I was also questioned about my potato salad. I mean, hold up, wait a minute. What? 
who was having that conversation. But despite the trolls, I'm still here. Expanding the borders of our false kitchen world. This ghost kitchen is our home and we're not going anywhere. I just want to make it clear to everybody that there's no subject that's off limits. When it comes to this synthesoid and which creating the illusion of glamorous fine dining. Vision, so many more ghost kitchens have popped up since yours got called out. Are you going to order from Guy Fieri's Flavor Town? Uh, not, not for me, thank you. I don't eat food. <laughs> that explains the empty refrigerator. Even with the Mind Stone? Vision, you weren't concerned at all about Wanda's menu choices with all the beets and hot dogs? My biggest concern was history repeating itself, with Wanda taking over an entire town because her ghost kitchen was called out. I just want a simple life with people that I love and be able to take over a 7-Eleven or Chuck E. Cheese and pass it off as artisanal dining. For me, I'm just really relieved and happy to be sitting here talking with my wife by my side. So what if she puts beets and hot dogs in every single entree? It has been unbelievably tough, but at least we have each other. We are an unusual couple, you know. I, I don't think that was ever in question. Can I please go now? I feel trapped in this interview. You are trapped, Oprah. I... Myself, I'm trapped. What? hear from our wonderful guests and let's talk about Haiti for a little bit. Okay, so with me now are four wonderful people, Darnell Champagne and Winnie Lamour of Jardin Timoun, a Haitian Creole language immersion program for children and adults too, uh, in a lot of ways, but we'll get back to that later. Um, we also have my cousins from both sides of my family. My maternal cousin, Chris Lane, she's an educator from out here in California. She has a PhD in history, which makes her an expert in the history of Haiti's often tumultuous relationship with America. And from my father's side of the family, we have my cousin, Mikael, who has lived in many parts of Latin America and France. She's also a home, home organizing specialist and a trained chef. So maybe we can also talk about Haitian food too, which would be a lot of fun. Um, typically, this is a, a big departure for me. Typically, I talk about, you know, fart jokes and movies. So this is, this is a, a very rare, special moment for me. I'm so happy to have all of you here. Um, we're going to be talking about Haiti. We're going to be talking about culture. Uh, and we're going to be talking about, most importantly, language. 
Um, you know, Haiti's the first Black-led nation in the world, um, but it, and it has an old language, but in a lot of ways, and we'll talk about it, and if I, you know, we might have different or differing opinions, but it's kind of a new language, too, in the sense that, um, like, in my parents' eight days, um, or even in my aunt and uncle, my parents are from, they were born in 28 and 36, and then my aunt and uncle, um, like, uh, or like even Mikhail's mom, born in the 50s, um, a lot of people don't uh, read and write Creole at that from those generations. So we'll talk about that. Um, but right now, just if, if everyone can introduce themselves, um, well, I'll start in order of um, the Jaden Timun uh, founders, and then we'll go with Chris Lane and Mikhail. So first up, Jaden Timun, please introduce yourselves. Hello, everyone. So happy to be here with you all. Um, my name is Darnell, and I am uh, one of the co-founders of Jardin Timun, which is a Haitian Creole language immersion program for children. We serve uh, children between the ages of zero to 12. And uh, prior to the pandemic, we were in person. We had in-person classes. We currently serve children online through our um, online classes. And um, we also have... Uh, done collaborations with other organizations and other people and we're having an awesome time uh having our children connect with their heritage language as well as with their their haitian culture right and so that's me in a nutshell that's great and winnie hi hi colette hi everybody um as darnell mentioned i'm the co-founder of jaden timon um which is an excellent space for uh, passing on our heritage language to the little ones. Um, but I should also add that I'm also the founder of the Haitian Creole Language Institute of New York. And we have a shared mission where um, both Jardin Simon and HCLI are committed to creating spaces to celebrating the Haitian Creole language. So anyone who's interested can come and learn and get um, engaged in Creole, and not just through sitting in class at both Jardin Simon and HCLI, we also offer cultural programming. So I'm happy to be here with Darnell and everyone else to chat a little bit about Haiti and especially the role of language, as Darnell and I do both consider ourselves language advocates for Creole. Great, and Chris Lane? Hi, I am Colette's cousin. <laughs> I was hey. just telling Darnell that like I always stay with, with Colette and Sean when I come to New York. Yeah. Um, because I love staying with you guys. I am currently uh, an adjunct uh, professor at Santa Clara. Um, and I teach actually at my daughter's private school. I teach history and, um, and uh, yeah, I... And I'm teaching now outside. I should show you guys a picture of what my classroom looks like. <laughs> yeah, she's teaching in the Santa Cruz Mountains with uh, tents. Mm. Yes. I yeah. can put it in the chat. I'll put it in the chat so you can see what it looks like. It looks like a disaster zone. We're in like literally tents and I'm wearing like full on like fl fluffy coat and everything. So it's, it's, it's a challenge, but the kids love it. So. Fl fluffy We're coat like PPE, like uh, like like a surgery. <laughs> no, like a uh, down coat, like fully 
not California usual coat, you know, like you don't yeah. see, see a lot of Californians. I'm, I'm like, literally, I had to buy a, a New York coat. <laughs> oh, because it's so cold up there. So cold, yeah. Oh my God. Wow. Yeah. Well, thank you for, for teaching during oh. the pandemic. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for your service. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Well, you're amongst uh, educators. Yeah. Winnie and, and Darnell are also educators. Yeah. Um, and Mikael? Hi, I'm Mikael, Colette's cousin. Um, I was uh, hotelier um, before the pandemic, and now I'm undergoing um, studies. I want, I'm becoming an interior decorator. Yeah. Um, thank you to the pandemic, following my passion, my true passion now. And um, yes, I'm becoming an interior decorator, um, personal organiza uh, organization, and home stager. Great. Uh, and then what I also wanted to know too from, from each of you is uh, favorite Creole phrases. So like um, I was thinking of them today. I wrote, I wrote down, um, I wrote down a couple, but then I was thinking today like, um, you know, behind mountains or more mountains. That's one of my favorites. Um, and then senti bon couche, like uh, smelling good is expensive, which uh, is true. I think it's it's not it's not easy. Um, and then also my parents, uh, again, they're no longer with us. Um, they um, they used to say this proverb about ants who can survive. They could still survive under a sack souk, like a, a sack of sugar. Um, I I don't remember the phrasing, but it, whenever I've told anyone, like uh, like Carla, um, who's been on her parents, they have never heard of it, but uh, I feel like I feel like another aunt knew it, but no one else knows it. So I don't know if any of you know that phrase or, or something similar. Yeah, I have yeah, no idea. Yeah, anyway, so it dies with them. Um, so Darnell, can you, can you tell us, um, is there a phrase that you, that you love? I love um, several uh, Haitian proverbs, actually, but um, the one that comes to mind at the moment is the one that says, uh, which means with patience, you'll see the breast of an ant. And uh, for me, that proverb uh, means that with patience, anything is possible. And uh, we all, you know, many of us, we have lots going on in our lives. We have a lot of things that we, um, that we have uh, objectives for, goals that we have. And with patience, and if we put um, the right effort in, we'll see um, things happen for ourselves. Right. It's very Zen, too. The, the, breath, the breath of an, an ant. Really oh no! Deep. It's actually it's it's actually the, the breasts of the ants. Ooh, with okay. patience, <laughs> with patience, you'll see the breasts of an ant. So it's the idea that you know uh, who knew that ants have breasts? Yeah. Like, can you really see the breasts of an ant? So basically, with patience, you'll see the the breasts of an ant. So ak patience wap we tete fumi. Oh, tete. Okay. Tete. Got it. Tete's boobs. Exactly. For those at home. Thank you. You're welcome. Okay, Winnie, Winnie, your turn. Oh man, it's turning into like uh, <laughs> Creole after dark. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I like a lot of idiomatic phrases in Creole. And one of my favorite is actually the title of the workbook that we use um, in our adult classes. And that's Ancalipua, 
which literally means let's peel beans, but it's an idiomatic phrase that means like, let's chat, let's chill, let's hang out. Um, so I love to say Ancalipois. 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 Okay. Mm-hmm. Cool. Nice. Chris Lane, do you have one? <laughs> um, so I, I, I have a couple that like, this is only because uh, these are things that my parents, or mostly my mother, would say to us mm-hmm. at various stages of the day. Yeah. What would she say? Tot mud. Yeah. One of them was, like she would tell you, like the way you fix your bed or mat is the way you're going to sleep. You know, wow. like. <laughs> Yes, that's um, why I make my bed every morning. <laughs> and she would say that in a in a sort of you know we're, you're having confrontation with her or something. <laughs> she's a she's a lovely lady. I love. She, her. Yeah, she really was. Yeah, <laughs> wonderful. Um, and the other one is the other one that came to my mind is not really a proverb, but it's a saying that um, I that often comes to my mind, and then when I try to tell people what it means I have a it's it just doesn't translate really well or I just don't know how to sort of say it so Mm -hmm. and my crayle is not like very it's 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 all in my head because my parents made me speak to them in English but they're talking to me in crayle and French at the same time Mm -hmm. but we were required to speak in English yeah and so um, my mother would say, or my, yeah, my mother would say, um, like, I'm, 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 like, I'm, I feel sorry for you. <laughs> like uh-huh. I, you know, like, I'm, I'm, and when I, when you try to tr- translate that, it just doesn't, it sounds like you're crazy for them or you're, you know, or whatever. I don't know uh-huh. if you guys know those. Like, like, I'm, I'm like, you're, you're, yeah, it's like almost mo- like you're. Munfu. Yeah. No. Well, no. Like you're. They're saying like, like my mom would say that like, in sort of exasperation, like, you know, like. Oh. You, did, you you did something that made her say, I, "I'm done." Like I'm done. Like I feel sorry for you. Like you're not listening. So we're you know we're done kind of thing. So anyways. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So. All right, Mikael. I don't have one. Um, uh-huh. I don't really have one. Um, it's just basic Haitian um, phrase that I think that we mainly use um, that I really like. Sakafet or naboule, which I always thought naboule, um, like we're burning. Um, I thought it's always something funny that we always say to one to each other and I'm like okay it's not the best but yeah we say yeah. this and um yeah so nabule um these are um Asian words that are very common that we use a lot yeah so so, like. so, so yeah or like and then the response. which is nabule yeah yeah, um, the Jardin Timun has a great t-shirt um, and go to their website. Uh, they have really great merchandise. 
um, but one of their t-shirts, it has a sort of like evolution of sac passé. Uh -huh. If one of you could explain um, the, the meaning behind it, Winnie or Darnell? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, yeah, as Colette mentioned, we have really great merchandise on Jardin Timun website. So definitely check out Jardin Timun, jardintimun.com. Yes. Um, one of our favorite um, products is, is our Sac Passe t-shirt, which shows how do we get to Sac Passe? Like, is it just Sac Passe or is it a, um, some words that have been shortened? And so what we do is we show the full phrase and the full phrase is Ki Saki Passe. And then we continue to break it down and break it down until it gets to sac pasty. So it's a t-shirt and it's fun to wear, but it's also a really great educational tool because, um, you know, a lot of people know sac pasty. I feel like it's one of the most, if not the most common phrase that non-Haitians know in right. Creole. Um, but I don't know that a lot of um, people even know what the full phrase is. So yeah, y'all should definitely check out um, jayanteen.com and learn some Creole while buying some cool things. <laughs> so so now in 2021, if someone said, um, if someone said that whole phrasing, to you like as a sort of like hello someone would probably like look at you weird like what what are you yeah. saying yeah it's almost like if someone said to you what is up <laughs> yeah you know like that's not really what people say I mean we know when we say what's up like the apostrophe s is the contraction of what and is but no one's really saying that and it's the same with kisaki up passe um, so yeah it's fun it's fun to know sometimes where the phrases come from right right um, okay so this is awesome um, I was inspired to do this show after learning about Darnell and Winnie's Haitian Creole spelling bee um, so everyone everyone I uh, Haiti is a very small community um, it, there's probably 1 million uh, Haitians in the United States, but uh, the culture, give or take, but uh, there are Haitians all over the world. And uh, so, but just funny enough, uh, Darnell and I, we met eons ago. There was a, like a, a social group in Queens called Club de l'Amitié, which means friendship club. It sounds so beautiful in French, Club de l'Amitié, but it's just friendship club. But it was a lot of fun. And, uh, and we met then and then um, didn't see each other for a really long time. And then we have... Uh, Flash forward years later, um, I have a birthday party. I think it was for my parents. Um, I'm not sure, but Darnell was there. Darnell came. She was dating Carla, um, TV correspondent Carla Prosper. Uh, she she was dating Carla's uh, brother-in-law at the time, and uh, and so were you surprised? Was you, you were just like, oh, it's just Colette, like small world? Or it, for me, it's just, uh, it just goes with uh, how small the community is and how everyone somehow knows each other or they're related to each other. Oh, uh, yeah. So uh, when, when I first met Vladimir, I, uh, in speaking to him, I found out that we knew a number of people in common, um, you know, through uh, Carla, as well as through family members my family members as well on uh, on my side and so yes the, the Haitian community can seem to be um, pretty small and uh, so 
uh, only because I knew that I'd see you, I wasn't surprised because I already knew that, um, that eventually I would since I was dating um, Carla's brother-in-law at the time, who's uh, yeah. now my husband and the father of my three children. <laughs> yes, it's beautiful, beautiful story. Uh, but even, even recently, I was at uh, a place in Santa Monica um, called Bay Cities. It's like a sandwich deli. And I have uh, a Haitian flag on my car. And I was just standing in front of my car. I had just gotten a sandwich. And this man is walking with his kids. And they're pointing to the flag. And, uh, and, and then I started talking to them. And it turned out that like they worked, he worked at like the consulate with my cousin, uh, my, our other cousin, um, Mikael and I, our mutual cousin, like they, they had known each other. Just again, small world. You just always end up seeing someone and then somehow they know your family. Um, I have so many uh, examples of that. Um, and so uh, anyway, so why, why is Creole important to you? Um, is is uh like how can you describe the mission of Jardin Timun? Sure. Um. So, uh, part of the mission of Jardin Timun is to inspire uh, the children in, that are coming up in the next generation to be connected to their culture, and um, Haitian Creole language and language in general is very uh, much. Uh, a large part of culture. And um, in my opinion, it's actually the doorway into culture. Without it, uh, culture wouldn't be what it is. And I know for me growing up, um, actually my, my first language um, was Haitian Creole and I didn't learn English until I uh, started school. It wasn't ESL up until I was in second grade. And mm -hmm. so for me, my language learning uh, inspired a lot of what I do now. And um, uh, for me, my parents, they uh, insisted that I spoke um, Haitian Creole. And so at home, I spoke Haitian Creole while uh, speaking English outside of the home at school. Mm -hmm. and, um, and so for me, speaking the language is also a way to not only keep in touch with the language and with the culture, but it's it's almost it's also a form of activism, if you will. Right. Because, you know, with this language, this uh, the, the language of Haitian Creole, it has uh, been stigmatized for so long um, in connection with um, the people of Haiti, with the uh, the history that we've had, and part of my children identifying with who they are and loving themselves is is being able to accept who they are. And for me as a parent, making sure that, that they know who they are and not let other people outside of them tell them who they are. And so um, once they go out into the world, knowing who they are, they can face anything that comes across them. And um, they're not left to the whim of other people's um, racism or other people's uh, thinking of who they are. And, and uh, if they are strong enough with their identity, they can face anything. And so part of um, Jardin Timun's mission is to uh, give children that, that um, identity to remind them of who they are and to uh, be able to express themselves. Um, mm -hmm. That's beautiful. I, I mean, I, I love the idea of, uh, of giving kids uh, a foundation. 
I, I also feel like in a way it was for adults too, uh, even though, yes, it's, it's definitely for children, your program, but um, I went to a class once and it was funny, like we were learning about colors and then the, the blue, like the, uh, the word for blue, and I, I was just thinking automatically in French and I had no idea how to say, I realized I was like, I don't know how to say blue in Creole. That was, that's bleh. I had no idea. So it was like, I, I felt like I learned too by being there. So Winnie, what about you? Like, where, where are you from? Your family's from Capaicia, but are you from, you're from New York originally? And Capaicia has a long history. Um, people are very proud who are from Capaicia. Can you talk about that too? Yeah, so I'm not actually, um, I'm, I'm not actually from Old Cup, but my mom's side of the family is from Old Cup, and my uh -huh. dad is from Balade. I was born in Paul Clarence and raised in Brooklyn, so I always say that I do identify as the hyphenated Haitian. Mm -hmm. um, so more largely, I identify as Black and part of the larger Afro-diasporic community. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I... I, I often, I, I don't say, I don't usually say I'm from Okap, but I feel the fire of the people from Okap because, you know, Munokap, they're very, um, they're very proud people. Um, they're kind of like the New Yorkers of Haiti. <laughs> you know, uh -huh. they, they, they always, think they're cool. Uh, yeah, they think they're cool and they are cool. <laughs> yes. And uh, they have a, a, a long history of um, revolutionary work being done there. You know, the final battle of the revolution took place in Okap and even the language that they speak there the Creole that they speak is different from the standard Creole so um, there's uh, there is a very tangible um, um, Okap energy but I, I wanted to add on to what Darnell was saying earlier about um, Jai and Simun um, I, I even even in the even in the adult the adult um, side with HCLI, um, I always tell my students that I'm arming them to go out into the world. And I, um, I mean, I say it figuratively, but I also mean it like literally because existing in the world as a black person and then to add on top, uh, uh, to add on top of that identity, uh, a Haitian identity, it's um, a very um, particular experience that mm -hmm. can, um, that can bring about really um really strong experiences you know you people might confront you or say things to you and so when we teach people creole and we create a space where people can celebrate the creole language we're arming folks to go out into the world and and so that they're better equipped <laughs> to come um, um, head on, uh, to deal head on with what it means to be a Black person in the world. So um, yeah, I always tell folks I'm in the business of making people feel uncomfortable, and that's my work yeah. as a language advocate. And um, I'm, I'm I, I don't know. I feel like today, today in particular, I really woke up with the energy of the revolution in my heart because the sun was out. It was like 60 degrees. And I felt like really powerful today. And I was reflecting on the Kupitet Bulekai motto of the revolution. And I've just kind of been um, thinking about what does it mean um, to, to live a, a revolutionary life? And 
I feel like Darnell and I are are doing that simply by creating space. And that's what we, we do as Black people. We've always created space. Mm-hmm. Um, and just by just by existing, we are we are already creating a counter narrative to what we've been taught as Black people. Right. Um, but now I'm on a tangent and I didn't even answer your original question, which is what was my life like with Creole? I learned English as a second language. I grew up speaking Creole. Um, and my background is as a linguist. So I have studied Creole and um, it's part of my, my work. Um, it's how I was trained, but it also lives in me day to day. And it's part of who um, I am at my core. Yeah, uh, so it's funny you were talking about revolution because uh, he, he, uh, Haitian Creole is a is a is a revolutionary. Um, the the language the language in itself is uh, is revolutionary. It is, um, but it, it's also wild that like for a long time there wasn't a sort of standard way of of uh, writing and reading. The, like it, it wasn't something that was taught necessarily in schools. Like my my parents did not learn Creole in school. It was spoken at home. Um, and the reason why I wanted to bring all of you here too is because so I grew up in New Jersey, um, and in a in a lot of ways sort of isolated from from Haitian culture. Like um, you grew up in Brooklyn, Winnie um, Darnell Queens. I right. You grew up in Queens. Um, so like I, I, for us, like we had to drive out to go to New York to interact with like family and, and make friends and have friends like Club de Amitié, for instance. Um, but like Chris Lane, Chris Lane grew up all the way out in California. Um, so, and then, uh, Mikael of course had, had, uh, she was in Haiti. Um, so like for me, it was, it was always, um, I've always felt, and, and I, I, I find it interesting what you're saying about um, being grounded in, uh, in Haitian culture. And I feel like I, I was Haitian, like I always knew that I was Haitian. No one knew what Haiti was. Like it, my kid, kids in my neighborhood, they were like, what is that? Where is that? Why does your parents talk like that? Your dad sounds like a robot. What, what's, you know, what is this all about? Um, so it was always amazing to to uh, have you know family come and visit, um, but then I wasn't always able to communicate with them. So like with like Mikael, for instance, like it was very for me it was like very stilted French, um, and then finally as like an adult as adults we we speak to each other in English. But like so Chris Lane, like what about you? Like Creole for you, you said it's like in your mind, like you would hear oh Creole. Um, you would hear French, but you would respond in English. Like, so what, um, what, what was it like for you growing um, up? I, I just want to say this is, this is so, this is such a joy filled like conversation. Um, so in, we are in, I grew up in the East Bay area and I actually grew up like an hour from San Francisco and, you know, I'm a child of the seventies and eighties. And so the population when I was young of Haitians in this area were people my parents knew. Like they all came here, they knew each other, and we literally only hung out with Haitian families. Um, but but those are only on like the holidays or the you know special occasions we were together. The rest of my life was in like 
a suburb where we're like the only black family within a, a square mile. Like I went to school where my siblings and I were one of few black people. And like you, Colette, like people did not, could not place my mother who looks different than me, by the way. She's, she was very light skin. Uh, my father is, is dark like me. And so when people interacted with us who didn't know anything about Haiti, oh my gosh, so many stories, <laughs> like so many stories. Like there, like I remember being at a open house or like a back to school night in sixth grade and my mother said something out loud and like the whole classroom stopped talking. <laughs> like record scratch. <laughs> <laughs> what is and, that? Or, you know, I have friends over at my house and my mother's cooking and they're like, what? What is your mother cooking? You know, or, or even my lunches, like literally. <laughs> yeah. You know, we just, we weren't American and we weren't, mean, meaning we weren't like, if you look inside our house, we didn't sort of fit the, 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 the black narrative that they were sort of used to. And so we always were just odd we didn't basically bring people to our house <laughs> <laughs> like don't come over you don't want it you're not ready you can't handle it so so and then my parents because their immigration experience was had some issues like my mother tried to get a job at with the red cross but they're like your accent is just whatever she and she relates it this way i'm sure it was much harsher but her accent was the basic reason why she couldn't get a job as a nurse. Um, my father's accent wasn't quite as strong, but my father's experience as a very, very dark um, man in sort of, you know, he worked for the, he worked for PG&E um, in San Francisco like, and like- uh, Electric, the electric yes. company. And, um, he was a he was a, a civil engineer, and so like his his world was very you know tie and suit and whatever, and he just you could tell he was just very stung by the racism that he received, and so he just he didn't have any he had very few American friends. Let's just say, <laughs> yeah, it was a very isolating place for my parents, and I you know I've actually talked about this with other other friends and, and family, um, the Bay Area at this time just didn't have very much uh, Haitians. And so for my, for particularly my dad, he, he wanted to go back, he, he, and he did. He, he goes back to Haiti for a particular mm -hmm. amount of time because he just, he, he, it just, it was he hard for take, him. He couldn't take yeah. it anymore. Um, my mother, on the other hand, had a different view of what she left in Haiti. She had some, you know, whatever hardships or whatever. And so she, she embraced this new American, like, oh, I can drive. I can, like, you know, right, I, right. I can get in, I can go to school. I can, <laughs> um, I mean, she went to school in Haiti, but like, you know, she comes here and it's a whole new, it's, you, you're starting over like most immigrant experiences. And so for her, she just, she had a, she had an easier time making friends that weren't Haitian. Um, but still had a, this very strong accent. And, and both of them just expected us to just speak in English, perfect English. 
just they, so that you don't thought, want the trouble that we're getting that kind of thing they thought that they, was that that was your salvation was having a good accent and so um but in the house that's all you're hearing and when you're with when we're with friends that's all they're you that's all the language that they're using so i'm so when I was in graduate school and I had to take a language um, exam, so of course I did French and I, I realized in that setting of taking my language exam, like I, I could not decipher the difference between Creole and French. And my, the person who was, um, who was uh, giving me the test was like, what's going on here? <laughs> like, why are you saying it that way? And I'm like, it's because I, isn't that how it's it's said? <laughs> it's like, so I have this like, it's like a Creole, French, English, whatever that's in my head that like, um, you know, it's just, it's it's in there. It's just, it's not something that I'm speaking regularly, but when I go to New York or I go to Boston or when I go to Miami or I'm on the, oh my God. I'm always like, oh my God, they're speaking Creole. Like, like, I'm like, like you love oh it. You love it. It's it's all connected. Oh my God. Yeah. I, I'm literally like in heaven and, and my siblings are the same. We're like, oh my God. Like, what are we? Where are we? We are in Flatbush to me when I stayed with you, Colette, like in Brooklyn. Uh -huh. Oh my I like I just I I just I I loved it. I just loved that I could go and get pate and and just it's not something you experience in, in California particularly in the East Bay yeah when yeah. I was growing up right in Los Angeles too there's there's not much there's not much any anything outside of uh, uh it's just it's very like black white um uh, Latino which is uh beautiful but it, at the same time I, I do miss Brooklyn with the pan-caribbean cultures and Haiti um but you know, LA gets gets the Haitian music. You guys have festivals. You guys. Oh, I didn't know that. Uh, I had no idea. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I had no idea. Um, if if there's ever a Haitian band that's coming, you know, touring the United States, they're gonna definitely go to LA. Okay. So they might come to maybe they'll come to San Rafael area bay area like there's some there's a pocket of haitians in in the marin area and stuff but mm -hmm. yeah it's 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 an interesting sort of uh way of growing up and and feeling um connected through my family but everywhere else is no one understands this and, yeah. and so so mikhail what about you because you left you left haiti you were like uh, early teens you were living in, in Latin America for a long time. So what about for you? Like, how do you, do you still feel as Haitian as you did when you were uh, 12 in Haiti as then you, then eventually you were in, in France and then in Latin America? Like, do you still feel the same as you, as you always have felt? Well, um, I do feel Haitian totally. Um, my culture, the language, yes, totally. Um, I feel my culture is very strong as a Haitian person. Um, the language, I speak it often um, with any Haitian that I encounter. Now I'm in Florida and of course I'm in Haitian land and yes, I found plenty of Haitian. And 
it's something that I usually um, use. My culture um, is very predominant in my life, my Haitian culture. Um, I don't know if it's the fact that I lived um, in Haiti um, for 14 years and I was able to um, live my culture that I still have. It's part of my life, um, but it's very predominant in my life right now. Yes. And then was, was Creole important in the house or what, what was um, sort of the, the language uh, spoken most in the house and, and why? Well, in their house, um, it was mainly French. I would mm -hmm. say French was their proper um, formal language that was taught in school. Um, but Creole was always um, the communication um, with everyone. So you spoke Creole at the house with friends. Um, so with the adult was French. Um, but with friends um, and anyone at their house, it was Creole. Mm -hmm. And yes, Creole is a mixed language. So it's very easy to learn. So it makes it easier to communicate in Creole. And still today, even with my brothers, um, when we see each other besides English, um, we speak Creole to one another. But with their parents, yes, it's well, and it is French. Yeah, but has it evolved in your uh, adulthood? Like, do you do you still just only it's very formal, or is it more um, like now you speak with them in Creole, or has that changed? Um, has their thoughts about Creole changed? Um, I think as an adult now, um, the first language will always be Creole, um, so we can sometimes speak in Creole, but the French always comes back. Yeah. Um, but yes, yeah, but sometimes, yes, we do speak Creole, of course. Yeah, I just thought, I, for, for me, I thought it was, uh, I grew up speaking English mostly, but like uh, my parents would, uh, my mom would speak Creole with her sisters, like with mud, like top mud. Um, mm -hmm. But for the most part, they would, they spoke French in the house. Um, I, my dad in his, um, he had Alzheimer's, uh, with Alzheimer's, he reverted back to his first language, which was, um, French. And this is where the revolution part comes where, um, you know, I was thinking to myself of, of how you're sort of trapped in your disease, your, um, and he was trapped, like, you know, his disease, um, uh, like it took over his mind, but he's, he's speaking the language of the oppressor and what i always think is is um interesting is that it it has become and and maybe winnie has uh it has more um insight of in this as a linguistic like um is it is it a new thing that it's been um that there is a standard writing um uh, component to to hate to Creole, if that makes any sense, or like the fact that pe kids are learning it in school, like in Haiti, is this a new thing? And then why? Um, yeah, you know, I think that it's important um, when we're talking about Creole to make sure that we um, give some socio-political context um, and. You know, as Mikael mentioned, um, there's definitely a very particular relationship between French and Creole, um, even in the way that Mikael 
um, um, described French as like the more formal um, language and Creole as like the language amongst friends. You know, that's a very particular dynamic that's a result of um, being um, formerly enslaved people. So even that relationship is um, a very purposefully created relationship. It wasn't something that um, sort of um, grew organically. Um, but speaking more particularly about the standardization of Creole, um, the Creole that we see written um, today uh, was only just recently standardized in the late 1970s. But that also warrants some contextualizing because before the late 1970s, the question you should ask yourself is, well, what were people writing? <laughs> was there a written Creole? And the answer to that is yes, of course, for as long as the language has been spoken, there has been a written form of the language as well. However, different people would write things in different ways. There wasn't like this um, uh, shared agreement, like this is how you write this word. Um, but again, um, staying within the sociopolitical context of, of the history of the language, this is very purposeful, you know. Um, it's because they were not allowed to. There was a very um, targeted um, campaign to make sure um, that a large majority of the Haitian people were kept from certain spheres of power. And so when we keep all of this in mind, you know, a lot of things kind of, um, you know, a lot of questions start to pop up. Like, why do we speak about Creole a certain way? Why um, do some people speak Creole in certain spaces and not in other spaces? Um, what, what isms are at play when we're talking about Creole? Um, and there's lots of isms in IT, racism, colorism, classism, um, elitism. Like there's many, many, many isms. And all of those, all of those manifest themselves even within the language of Creole. Um, and, and the, the, the spaces where students are learning now um, on Creole, they're learning the best because Creole is their mother tongue. The problem with French in Haiti um, is not that Haitian people cannot speak French. Yeah. Haitians absolutely, like every other human people, can speak any number of languages, but the true mother tongue of Haitian people is Creole. And when you're able to learn in your mother tongue, you actually learn best. What's happening in Haiti and what has been happening, which is why there's this really big divide between older generations and newer generation, is that students in Haiti spend their whole educational careers just figuring out the language that they're being taught in versus the content that they're being taught. Like they're not actually learning the content. They're actually just still figuring out the vehicle in which they're being taught this content, which is very challenging. Um, but there's been a lot of research done on Creole 
um, especially Crayola Haitien. It's the most widely researched Crayola. So there's lots of really great um, material out there that lets us know what we already know in our hearts, which is that Crayola is our mother tongue. There's a reason why diaspora, c'est la français, Like when we're home with our parents, unless there's like a really conscious decision made to teach children of the diaspora French, they're not learning French at home. And so the diaspora, they have this connection to Haiti through language. And really, um, that's what Darnell and I are trying to do is create a yeah. space where we can have these kinds of conversations and really press people to start to ask the kinds of questions that maybe they wouldn't normally be asking. Um, because what it all boils down to is we're all socialized in certain ways. And sometimes we think that the things that we think are our own thoughts, but they're actually the stuff that we've just been kind of fed our whole lives to think. Programmed. And when you start, yeah, we've all been socially programmed. And so when we start to push back on that programming, when we start to ask ourselves like, why? <laughs> you know, sometimes the answers that come up are answers that we don't like, one, but two, um, they're not they're not easy um, to accept. And so a lot of folks, I, I, a lot of folks I know come to certain conclusions and decide um, to stay in certain ways of thinking because it's it's easier to to assimilate. It's easier um, to accept. It's easier to kind of just go with the flow. Um, but you know, I stay reminding people like we're the daughters of revolutionaries, y'all. Like our ancestors back in the day, they were like slavery. Nah, that we we ain't with yeah. this. <laughs> They're like we're not we're not doing this. So um, there's a a lot of um, a lot of ancestral knowledge that's been passed down to us that I think once we tap into, especially through Creole, and then you feel it, like li frappeo. When you hear it in Creole, yeah, li frappeo. And so in that way, there is power in language and particularly our ancestral language, our heritage language, really that's where we can draw um, our best energies. Right. That was really beautifully said. Um, it's so funny that you're ta we're talking about this. Um, the and I, I don't. I mean, we could talk about this for days, but like I, I've been. Uh, I, I don't. I don't want to. But like the Harry and Meghan, because like <laughs> this has Girl, nothing. That interview was a mess. It was a mess. Yes. First of all, Meghan needs to let Meghan needs to say the words "I am a black woman." Yes. Like, she needs to actually like first of all state that she's black. Girl, you black. <laughs> like but the more you say you're mixed, like. That's great, but actually, you are received in the world as a black person. Therefore, yeah. you are black. Period. <laughs> so, so that's where the problem for me starts and ends. <laughs> yes, um, I think my. I mean, my theory with all that was that she was uh, passing in America. She was she she was doing Hallmark movies uh, as like white characters with white parents. I think that she thought that oh, I'm fine, In, you know, I'll be fine over there. But no, it, she was received as, yes, a black woman. Um, and that was, I think, a, a big, um, you know, coup de point, like a, you know, hit, uh, you know, for her was that, uh, 
yes, she has to, um, it was that she's, she's just like us and that she's not, you know, the Hallmark actress that was, you know, passing and that, you know, had, had a different life altogether in California. Um, but I, I find it interesting because you have all of these um, people that are, are starting to talk about it and talk about, you know, the racism um, in England. Um, and then even France is receiving this information too. And, and they have, um, they have answers. They have to, they have to, you know, provide answers um, for, for their, um, you know, behaviors as well. Uh, so I just find it interesting that this is happening. Um, it's a, it's, it's silly too. At the same time, it's a prince who wanted to run off with his wife, and they, they live in California. They're very wealthy, and they have a deal with Spotify and Netflix. But for some reason, and maybe Chris Lane, I don't know if if anybody can jump in, but for some reason, we're talking about Haitian Creole, we're talking about Haitian culture and 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 growing up Haitian. But for some reason, I keep thinking about Harry and Meghan and and the idea of like colonialism or the idea of of, of, of colorism, maybe. There's so many thoughts that I'm that are swirling um, as we're talking about, you know, something else altogether. But in in some ways I feel like it's connected too. So I don't know if Chris Lane is picking up on my on my wavelength. Well, the the so this comes from a previous conversation you had about um, Bridgerton. Bridgerton, yeah. Bridgerton. Um, and um, so um, you know that's a Netflix series that's dealing with uh, characters, a Shonda Rhyme, Shonda Shonda, what's yeah. her name? Shonda yeah. Rhimes. And. Um, so I was, you know, it's it's interesting to me because um, one of the things that I that I wrote my did my research on was on um, only Christophe's like like his like uh, court like and, and who who's and Henry, Henry Christophe for for those listening who's that? So he is the king in the north, and he um, he north of Haiti, not John Snow. Good, uh, game of <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> um, and he, so, you know, after the revolution, he sets up a, a, a European style monarchy, like, and so, you know, whatever you think about that, you know, during the French colonial period, people are sending their kids to, Fra to France to get educated there are black people in France in say 1740, you know, there are black people who are part of this like Royal, like Bridgerton, like they are there. And people have wrote, wrote about interacting with these noir, these people <laughs> who like mm -hmm. are from Saint-Domingue. And, and so it's very interesting to me because no one no no one knows about this history. So even like I, you know, there was this um, article in the the Black Scholar, um, which was talking about how this is the one part that Shonda Rhimes didn't like research. Yeah, <laughs> like, she sort of is like she's like making up this world where you know black people are royalty and they're interacting with white royalty and no one's no one knows the, knows the difference or whatever. And it's like, no, that actually did happen. And actually it did exist in the colonial period because a lot of these, uh, you know, 
colonists are having children with their, uh, and, and whether it's fo by force or whatever, and they're claiming their parentage, so they're, they're claiming their kids, they're not, some of these kids are being claimed, not, some, not all of them, but some of these kids are being claimed for, you know, whatever. And so there, there is, there is this, isn't a, this isn't part of the imagination, this is reality. And so it's interesting that this sort of royals, you know, the way they're reacting to, at least from what Megan is saying, the way they're About reacting is, is certainly, um, you know, we, we understand that, but it's like, okay, come on, people, they're, they're, this is not new for, for you people. This is, this is not a new phenomenon. Right, and right. If, if I may add to yeah. um, what um, Chris Lynn was saying, for example, you mentioned Christophe, he, uh, his wife, um, and um, they, had th they had children together. And so after his, um, his apparent suicide uh, and the assassination of um, their son, the uh, Marie-Louise, Queen Marie-Louise and their two daughters, the two princesses, they fled to Great Britain and they lived the rest of their lives out there. I believe there's even a monument in some some things that, that pay homage to the life of Mary Louise. And so she was there and with the help, I think of, um, I, wanna, I think it's a, a, a royal in Great Britain or um, I wouldn't say it's a royal, but definitely uh, someone of stature there yeah. an, an, who um, helped them with, uh, with uh, you know, settling in um, Great Britain. And so what you're mentioning, Chris Lynn, is definitely so. It's definitely, it's, it's in history, there's um, documentation, it's documented. And if um, one does their research, they can find that information. So I do the research on this guy who's from, he's actually from uh, Connecticut. He finds his way, he's so interesting. People always ask me, who would you meet? I'm like, I would meet this guy, he's so, amazing he um because his name is prince saunders and he um is this he's free he grew up free his parents were enslaved but he grew up free and he was very educated eventually he gets the the eye of thomas clarkson and will uh wilberforce um who are part of an abolition group in Europe and they were like, oh, let's let's bring him over. Let's bring him over. Let's talk to him. He sounds really interesting. He comes over and they're like, they're enthralled with him because there's something about him that gets people's attention. And he gets sent to Haiti to go uh, bring vaccinations to Christoph, his family. And so he brings the smallpox, he brings the, I guess they have the smallpox inoculations at that time. And so he brings it for Christoph. And while he's there, Christoph is like, oh, you were a teacher in Boston? And Prince Saunders is like, yes. And he's just Prince. That's just, he's like Prince. <laughs> he's like, that's just his name. He's not a Prince. He's fucking amazing. Sorry. And so, um, and so um, Prince Saunders is like, I will totally set up a educational system in this area. So that, cause his desire, the King's desire was to bring education to the to his his region um he he does this all he does all this stuff but one of the th one there's this newspaper account of him going to england and he is known by the like the countess of i can't remember the name of the person some royal who or some nobleman or whatever who's like oh you can't have a party without prince saunders like literally in the newspaper they're saying 
<laughs> like he's got to come to our he's got to come to our, our parties because he's so amazing and and you know like this is the thing is it's like it's not there's not a lot of these people i'm not claiming that you know there's you know thousands of people like who are hobnobbing with uh rich people but it is this is the colonial world this is the colonial world where people are getting through these 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 social circles for various region reasons um and you know it's it's kind of it's quite amazing so it would be interesting to see if Shonda Rhimes uh, now knows about like <laughs> like if she did a little bit of research she could totally do Kristoff's like kingdom she could totally do that world and the paintings of the daughters and the mother and I mean like these are people who are like living large like they just look amazing their their palace is amazing and it's still there I mean it's it's still there right it's still in Haiti there's still evidence of this like it's just yeah it's a missed opportunity. Wow. Well, the thing about the thing about Bridgerton, the thing about uh, Shonda Rhimes, and Shonda Rhimes is amazing. Uh, but the show itself, she's just, I think, an executive producer. Uh, she wasn't the creator of the show. It was a white dude. So there you go. Um, a white man uh, created Bridgerton. Yeah. Well, thank oh, you. How disappointing. I, yeah. <laughs> like it's not it's not from the mind of Shonda Rhimes writing, you know, the Duke of Hastings, you know, his his words. Like it's it's other people. But she's make, you know that makes that makes some things make sense now. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that makes a lot okay. of sense. Yes. Yeah, but I, I love that. I had no idea. I I I mean I've heard of Henry Christophe, of course but I never thought of his, his circle. I never, and then even, yeah, I, I, my father's, um, how Haiti became independent and uh, his, his theory was always, and my father was always very matter of fact about when, you know, history and stuff, but it was just always, his thing was just that uh, these, uh, these, uh, you know, Frenchmen would impregnate a, a Haitian woman and oh, you know, he must be educated in in France, and so they they're sent to France to to be educated, and uh, and then they 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 come back to Haiti, and their their mom is is still a slave, and so you know they're realizing that this is not. Um, I I know that it goes. It's so much more complicated and um, and and complex than than just that basic story but to me uh that was what my father would tell me it was just that basically that um there were more and more educated people that were coming back to haiti from france and realizing that this was not the the way to live and then haiti became independent in 1804 um but and it's because of haiti's independence that it it sparked um uh, other countries like uh, Venezuela or even Brazil to to um, seek independence, which is uh, pretty incredible. And at the same time, they and going back to Harry and Meghan being punished for their actions, whatever. Um, Haiti has long been punished for their actions for being the, the, the first for being independent for seeking their independence and and getting it. Um, they they were you know, punished by the British, by the French, by the Catholic Church, um, and vilified for, for um, 
for just wanting to be their own, their own country. Um, so, which is why I think it's so amazing um, what Jaden Timun does. Um, and, and I love the idea you were saying about giving your kids a foundation, giving them um, a sense of empowerment in, um, in uh, you know, connecting with a part of their culture. And they, you know, these are, these are kids in America and they're, they're, have, they're connecting with, with Haiti. Has, have any of you been back in the last couple of years and what, what's it like now? Like Mikael, have you, you've been back like maybe two or three years ago? And what's yeah, it like now, back, right? I've been back like four years ago. It, it, it has changed a lot. It was not the same Haiti that I left um, back in 94. Um, yeah, it, it is not the same. It has changed a lot. So like why? Because I'll look on Instagram and I'll see people at the beach and they look so they look like they're having a good time. Yeah, the beach is always the beach in Haiti. Um, that's magical, um, the beach in Haiti. Um, the culture is still there, of course. Um, our beautiful culture, the art, the food, of course, all that to enjoy. But the country itself, the beauty that, the, that I knew when I left Haiti, when I lived there, is not the same, um, unfortunately. But it's such a beautiful culture um, and country in itself. It's just, yeah. The so state you, of the country. Can you give an example? Um, just the architecture that we used to have, the beautiful gardens, the beautiful flowers, the beautiful houses. And now with the country being so unstable, um, people had to build very tall fences where you cannot even appreciate um, the architecture, the beautiful architecture of Haiti. And I think that is something that I really that really shocked me when I saw that because it's something, um, the architecture is something that I always loved in Haiti and you mm -hmm. can no longer enjoy it because of the instability of the country. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah, I haven't been back in a really long time too. I've, I've wanted to go for, um, like recently I wanted to go, but, but uh, it seems, um, uh, I, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm afraid to get on a plane right now because like people don't wear masks really. People just like, they're, they're not really following the rules. Um, but yeah, I mean, I would love to go back. Um, have, have any of you, um, other ladies, have, have you been back? And what's it, what's it like for you? Yeah, I have a similar um, experience as Mikael. I was there in 2018. Um, no, 2019, no, 2018. Um, and it's a different um, vibe when you're in an urban space like Paupins. And then if you go to Andrea, like to the rural areas, I think that the more rural countryside um, areas still maintain the, um, the, the quiet, tranquil <laughs> vibes um, that have always been there, um, especially since people um, operate on a more micro level. So the the community is so much more close knit, and you know people care for the land. And um, unlike in major cities like Port Prince people actually clean up after themselves and there's garbage pickup. But then you get to the and it's like, 
Canal yo playa fatra and yeah. Yeah. when it rains to fatra so we fatra wet. It's very it's very disheartening to see, as Mikael mentioned, the lack of infrastructure that um, still um, is not present um, on a larger scale. Mm -hmm. um, but of course, like in most um, countries like Haiti, um, if you have a little bit of money, it's not the same. So if you go to certain neighborhoods where people do have access to more resources, things are like pristine. You know, you see beautiful homes and the streets are clean and you can go sit at outdoor restaurants and walk down the block and go go shopping you know like there there are places like that but they're so few and far between mm -hmm. um and it's absolutely not the experience of the average person which is um really disheartening to see yeah it's uh yeah they have a, a long road and and just uh it's it's also just other countries interfering in their affairs and um there's it's it's so much uh it's it's so complex um, so, uh, uh, we were talking about, um, Chris Lane growing up in Haiti, uh, growing up in California. Um, what led you to study? You grew up in California, isolated as, as AF, like me, out in Jersey. What led you to study Haitian history? What, what did you discover? What do you still want to know? Oh my goodness. I um so, other than know, like hanging out with Prince because Prince oh does my God. sound he sounds pretty lit. <laughs> so people no people who know like the the history of like the sort of the northern abolitionists and stuff like he was engaged to Charlotte Fortin, who is the daughter of like one of the most like famous like black free man free men in 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 the north like. And then it was like broken off, like for some reason, like he didn't get married to her. And I'm like, I want to know why he didn't get married. He ended up his life in, in Haiti. He ends up like um, being the, and this is what I argue, the person to argue that, uh, forget that ACS, go to, go to Liberia colony, forget that, go to Haiti. Yeah, now that's so where you need to go. So he actually gets the the ball rolling for Boyer to um, bring 10,000 free African-Americans to Haiti. They go and then they like literally assimilate. They just, they literally disappear. They don't retain any sort of Philadelphian, like I'm gonna stay with my, you know, my people or whatever. They just, they disappear. And, and that was, so I actually go to Haiti and I went in 2012 because I was doing research to see where are these people, these 10,000 people that go there and I, I can't find anything. I can't find monuments. I can't find evidence of them except in one place, which is, is in Samana, which is in the Dominican Republic side. There is a pocket of a very small community in, in Samana um, for another reason. But I, I started studying this because um, I was, I, I study 19th century slavery, Atlantic world, whatever. And I'm like, wait a minute, what are black people thinking about this revolution that's happening in, you know, in, 17, in the 1780s to, to, or, you know, just to come to sort of this, to culminate in, in this independence, like, 
I know they're talking about it on the ships. So the ships that are traveling to port cities all over the Eastern seaboard, there are, you know, black people, they're white people, they're talking about the revolution that's happening for 13 years. And I wanted to know, well, what, you know, what, is, what are people thinking about it? And it led to me to this, well, a friend of mine, um, uh, a very dear friend led me to this guy he keeps seeing in the archives by the name of Prince Saunders because he writes this, well, he, he collects all the, the documents of Christoph and um, of the revolution and he puts it in a book and he, he, he says it's, it's his book. Mm -hmm. And that book I still have actually, it's somewhere up here because I stole it. No, I had I had this book I had this book from the, the from the, the the UCSC library for so long that they just ended up never asking for it. So I didn't steal it. They just never asked for it. Okay. I have it. <laughs> That's what we'll say if they were ever questioned. Um, but it's this amazing book that you know he's he's basically saying no, look at this, look at, look at their constitution, look at what they're, they're creating down there in that new black republic. Look what they're- I'm sorry to cut you off because we, we learned about Marcus. We've learned somewhat about Marcus Garvey, not really. It depends on, on um, not really in schools you learn about Marcus Garvey, but maybe like, you know, if you read a book or, or um, you stumble upon him. So they're, they're but this is, this guy was sort of, uh, he was another, another, uh, he was another person altogether who had a different way of, of thinking. He thought, you know, because of what he of saw, Africa go to Haiti. Yeah. yeah. He's like, this is not being run by white people. There's no like, cause the Liberia project is, is run by what the American colonization society there. They're, they have plans. These are, these are slaveholders. Some of them who are like, yeah, we can't have free people. We get that the North is, abolishing slavery but we can't have free free people just sort of hanging out doing their lives we need to get them out get them back to africa and so that's going on at the same time that saunders is like forget that that does not look attractive because you're still going to be tied to this like colonial project if you go to haiti haiti's going to give you land they're going to give you citizenship this is the real Wakanda. This is the real Wakanda. This is the real Wakanda. I'm, I'm, and to me, reading this was like, oh my God, why don't we know this? And so here we are. Wow. <laughs> you know? Know. And we're still looking for the real Wakanda. I know, I know. Even though, even it's Haiti. No, it's of, Haiti. No, 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 no. It's, it's, always, Haiti. it's always been Haiti. Oh my God. Um, you know, uh, when I visited in 2014, um, I got a chance to go to like, oh my God, so I have this Yelp, I'm not the Yelp, uh, travel, and what is that website where you, you know, you travel and you leave a, leave a message. Oh, a, a trip advisor. Trip advisor for the Fort Royal Hotel in Haiti. Because, um, where is that? It's in Petit Guave. Okay. And it's like, it's just, it's out in the, in the countryside and it's just, it was just so beautiful. It was, and it was a beautiful hotel. They had this relief wall of like the, like this, this art wall, like made in, in the wall, like of um, scenes from the revolution. It was just so beautiful. And I had to leave, leave a, leave a review because I, 
I was like, people got to know about this place. But of course, you know, if you go to Haiti, you, you, you have to be ready, right? You got to be ready to like deal with maybe there, maybe the power won't work. I don't know. It didn't happen to me, but um, it's, there's so much there's so much beauty in 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 hating the beaches and whatever we yeah. were we were way out in areas that did have that calm that peace um it was when you were closer to the where you know the earthquake moved people into like into the city so they're just there's just more people in petion in in petionville in um in uh Port-au-Prince and so and people are living wherever they can so that's that certainly is hard to deal with for for Haiti but in the you know there's still there's still a beautiful place and I, I hope I go can, yeah. I can go someday again yeah yeah what do you what do you miss about Haiti uh the, the Haiti that you knew Mikael um it's still there it still exists but in yeah. your heart what's what is it that you miss I would have loved to be able to know Haiti, how it was. Um, so I miss that part of Haiti. But as you say, it is still there. We have such a rich culture, a beautiful culture. And that is something that I do cherish a lot um, to the language, the music, the food, um, the art. Um, so that is something that stays and lives with me. But I would have been able, I would have loved to be able to really go back to Haiti and say, okay, at least I know I can go back home, call this home, because it is home. Um, it always felt like home, and that is something that I miss, because it's, it is not the same Haiti um, that it used to be. Yeah. Well, I don't know. What, what can we do? What can we all do to make it, to make it, to make it better? What can we do to... Um, like we're you know talking about revolution so what what can we do to to save haiti what can we do for for ourselves like do you does anyone have any ideas we gotta write about it we gotta teach our kids yeah. write about it promote about it i think that's the best way because we have such a beautiful culture i think promoting it the right way um not the way that it is um shown on tv or in the news i think the right way we have a beautiful culture. Um, and I think what Jordan Timon is doing, um, it's beautiful. It's the beginning of all of it. And that's great. We have to keep doing it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I certainly believe that education and uh, research is very important um, before um, doing anything. Uh, action is definitely um, a necessity. But um, before action comes uh, planning, comes um, research and also as you mentioned before this is part of the reason why uh winnie and i do the work that we do we do know that children are uh the future they are part of what our legacy um they'll be part of uh continuing our legacy and um i'd like to say that they're somewhat like seeds we're planting seeds for what's to come and uh you know through our children we know that um they will have a sense of identity, a stronger sense of identity, and uh, they'll be able to be connected to the culture in, in that way. Um, one of the things that Jain Timun is doing, for example, we are just recently collaborated with um, a school in Haiti, in Lagunave, Haiti, 
Oh, wow. I mean, in this school, it's a school from kindergarten through 12th grade where they, where the instruction is all done in Haitian Creole and French is taught as a foreign language, which is the opposite of what um, the education system in Haiti has uh, been doing for, um, for, I guess, its entire existence. And mm -hmm. so um, we're really excited about this project where um, it's called a story time exchange project in which uh, the children, it's a peer uh, project when, which the children will read stories um, to the students at Jadine Timun and will be able to um, interact with them. And so through this peer interaction, children get to continue being inspired by the language, mm -hmm. uh, both children in Haiti, Haitian children, as well as children abroad. And so we're really excited about that. And um, for us, part of our action and part of uh, our way of, uh, of, of aiding is, is through education, because both um, Winnie and I were educators and um, we're using our, our power, if you will, I'll say that, to, uh, to engage and be a part of, uh, of, of the movement that's happening now. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. Chrislyn, you wanted to say something? I, I like, I, I have an ulterior, ulterior motive to like, um, like teach Haiti all the time. So I teach right now, um, sixth, seventh and eighth grade history. I teach a world history and I teach a U.S. history. And just last week, like I, you know, we're talking about the American Revolution and I wrote this article <laughs> about um, a long time ago, like when I was a grad student, that is on, a, like it's a, it's a digital encyclopedia, that's, it's an entry in there. And it talks about how um, Haiti, at the time it was San Domingue, but they brought, um, you know, black people to help in the American Revolution um, because France was asked to help in the revolution. They brought some people. There's a monument in, in, um, in uh, South Carolina to these fighters. Um, there's a book that was written about it and they, these sort of connections. And I, <laughs> like, I'm like, I'm literally going to like, so, you know, we used to have a president who used to call um, Haiti and countries like Kenya and other countries right. as whole countries. And to me, when, when that, and I literally, I showed them the, the video and I'm, I'm sort of setting up this argument, like, why do people think that we have no deep connections the United States, no deep connections to Haiti. We do, we have very deep connections. We have a long history with yeah. um, that island. And it's just, this is, my, this is my ulterior motive. I have students who now know that there is a connection, that there are people who were formerly enslaved, were brought in, and some of these people included the young 12-year-old Henri Christophe, at the time, he went with this, um, this um, you know, group of, of, of soldiers or fighters or whatever um, to help with the American Revolution. This is, this is something that was formative for him. He's like, what's going on here, you know? Oh, so <laughs> like, what, people are fighting for their independence. You can't, I can't imagine that that didn't have an imprint on him at 12 right. years old. 
he was there. So was uh, Rigaud. So was, uh, you know, some, they're, they're just, they're just things that I, I think in America, we don't know. We, we don't, we just don't learn this. Right. No, had no idea. Right. If you, if you look at the, um, if you get to see, visit the monument, the, the, the little boy in the monument, the drummer boy, that's um, Henri Christophe. Oh, wow. Wow. Haitian. Yeah. It's, it's, it, I mean, we so I'm, 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 yeah, I'm, 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 I'm teaching a generation. They're going to know this in middle school. They're going to know this and, I, and they're, they can never, they're never going to forget it because I'm, I'm making them learn it. I'm, I'm making this them is, see. Yeah. This, this is, like is Santa Cruz Santa Mountains. Cruz in in california that these kids are learning so so yes if you're listening and you are in another part of the country take this information please this is uh because somehow you know these other countries like in brazil like they they heard about you know the revolution in haiti they they so somehow if they didn't have social media at the time they didn't have podcasts so Somehow, um, you know, we need to uh, spread the word. And uh, so this is um, this has been amazing, uh, Mikael. So share with us some food. What are some? Uh, I only make I make pizza and pasta. I need I need a, a definitely a cooking lesson soon. Um, but what is your go-to meal that you make? Uh, but I'm sure you miss the griot, the pate. Yes. Yes, yes, you make very I'm good sure. griot too. Griot is uh, like goat, goat, goat meat, like like or pork. It's pork. Pork. It's pork. Okay. Yeah. So so tell us what what's something that you make? Oh, um, Haitian um, spaghetti hot dog. That is a staple. Okay. Simple. Yes. That is. <laughs> but you know, people in the delicious. south make them too. People, I I remember saying that at work. And um, this girl's like, yeah, my family makes that too. And I was like, oh, yeah. okay. So I guess. Of course. Even here, Chef Boyardee <laughs> makes it. Spaghetti right, hot, right. Spaghetti hot dogs, yes. Um, but Tasso Dend, um, Turkey. Grillo, uh -huh. um, Jiri Jonjon, Jiri Kole, um, yes, Banancozi, Accra. That is something, it's very difficult. It takes a very long time to make. Um, here, um, yes, I've been eating Accra, um, delicious. I miss that. Um, yeah. So, so Bon Appetit, this is the last thing and then we're going to go into the spelling bee, but Bon Appetit, they, they've been, uh, there's been a lot of controversy with, with that magazine. Um, they came out mm. with a soup jumu. Soup jumu, yeah. But yeah. it had like, uh, they, they, they have, uh, I mean, they have, it's a lot of, a lot of problems, um, where like, even like for like Asian recipes, they would get like white chefs to make things. So I don't know who made in their test kitchen made soup jumu. Soup jumu is, um, and, and Darnell could probably explain, uh, but like soup jumu is the, the soup of freedom. And, uh, and, and there was like, pine nuts in in their recipe and like some other stuff that's just like that it doesn't it's not what you what you put in that no. so like what no. do you put in your soup jumu? do you put vinegar no you don't put I, vinegar no car my cousin no. carla likes vinegar but I, i'll put yeah. um like i like lime you can add lime if you want as a topping um but it's basic because when we cook, we did not have so many ingredients. So 
it's mainly the pumpkin, um, whichever meat, the chicken, or if they want to add pork, um, and the noodles um, that are part of end vegetables. So it's very basic and delicious. Um, yeah, but no, it, it, it's very different than the one from <laughs> um, Savarel, yes. Right, and then I, in, I, uh -huh. I, my, um, both my parents would make um, this uh, crab dish that it's basically eggplant like and crab, but it's like the eggplant is boiled, boiled, boiled till it's like a pulpy whatever, and then you're eating it with you're you're soaking the crab in the in that. That's to fill legume. And I make that for so for my family. I that's what we have for Thanksgiving or Christmas. Like we don't do turkey. I can't I can't do that bird. I can't, it's just, <laughs> just too dry and tasteless. So we always have crab at my my house mm -hmm. in it, you know crab aubergine or whatever they be i think they called it um you know it's, legume. yeah that's how you yeah. call it Tufe. and it's yeah. it's like you know it's it's got um it's just to me it it smells and tastes like home and it's just it's just something you eat with rice and you know whatever um but yeah, I, I can't, I don't have a rest. I don't really have a recipe. <laughs> I, just, I completely just remember my parents making it. So I just, I, I just try to recreate it and I, and I hope I do them good. My, yeah, we eat it. So <laughs> That's great. That's wonderful. Um, I think uh, things like, like uh, Mikael, she's made Mirlito, which was really great. Uh, yes. which is, uh, uh, it's not Shumaya, chayote? it's chayote, it's chayote, and it's like a, like a, a, a custard, what is it in the middle? How would you oh, describe? You just, it's just, you use the pulp of the chayote, and you make a sort of gratiné, and you bake it in the yeah. oven. Yeah, that 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 is delicious. Um, so, I, and then from my my mom, um, she would make uh, she'd make like a bouillon, and it would have boulette in it. Uh, I don't know uh, another name for it, but it was like little like uh, like flour boule, like dumboue, 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 dumboue. Yeah. yeah. So she would make so she would make that, and and that's something that I miss, and I I haven't done that in a. I have I think I I made it in the last that I made, but I, I didn't. What about you, Winnie, or and Darnell? Like, what, are there foods that you love that you can make, that you uh, that there are things that remind you of your childhood? Yeah, I. Um, oh, sorry. Do you want to? Uh, sure. I'll just quickly uh, mention. Um, Subjumu is definitely a staple in our home. We love Subjumu, especially on the first of uh, January every year, as it's the uh, the meal. Uh, that celebrates the independence of Haiti. And um, when having it, um, my children who love it as well, we like to tell the story of um, the Haitian independence, why we have the soup and the fact that prior to independence, we um, as Haitian, well, us, um, as enslaved people, we weren't allowed to have the soup or, or eat it. And so after um, independence, it was uh, what was celebrated in um, 1804 for several days, everyone had soup. And um, the other um, important thing about the soup is the idea that it's made to share. 
So you're sharing with those in the community, you're sharing with those not just in your home, but also in the neighborhood and with family. And it's something that pulls um, Haitians together from all, no matter where you are all over the world. And it's, um, you know, it's a soup that's rich in vegetables. It's, it's rich um, in lots of different things. I heard someone say they put um, Jimboy in, in it. I've, I've never heard of that, but you know, that's, I, I guess some people, uh, you know, they, they have their, um, their, uh, you know, um, favorite things that they may, you know, want to, to add to, to it. I, I know I love Dumboy in bouillon, because that's another thing that I love to eat as well. Bouillon is very tasty, very rich in vegetables as well, although it's um, made differently, whereas the soup jumu, um, the base is, is the pumpkin, the jumu, and the, uh, the bouillon is made differently. But I, I love both. I eat both. Um, and there are lots of other dishes that I can mention, but um, definitely wanted to point out those two. Yeah, I, I feel like we would be remiss if we didn't um, mention how good just the plain white rice is, the Haitian white rice is like the, the star of the meal. And if you, if your rice ain't good, Haitians will tell you the whole meal was not good. <laughs> even if you put, even if you put your foot in, in the rest of the meal, si tu y a pas bon, so yeah, a, a really good white rice. But I also really, um, I like to eat, I guess, what they call manger malheureux. <laughs> I like to eat almoso with banan. Um, so I like to have um, smoked herring with plantain, just like a boiled plantain. Um, and I eat almoso sauce, I'm so free, I'm so bouilli, like any way you can have smoked herring, I'll eat it. Sometimes I don't even boil it before I cook it. I just pop, take it from my freezer and pop it in some oil and I eat it like chips. I get it, let it get really crispy. And oh, eat it nice. Like yeah, so I, I, I just Chris like Lane is salivating. She's loving no, this. No, no. So I have a funny story. So Trader Joe's sells a <laughs> Pro tip: They they sell a um, smoked herring in a in a tin can thing, and my we eat like we stock our shells with that because I I too it's not exactly the same, but it's 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 enough for me, especially where I can I can't get in this area, mm-hmm. and my daughter grew up eating it, and once one of the first like playdates that she went to it was at a friend of mine's her house and I when I picked her up the mother was like so we asked B what she wanted to eat and she said smoked herring (laughs) and she was and and, you know the the lady was like I didn't know that you guys (laughs) like she's like dumbfounded by the you know the the context of like why would your you know six-year-old you know be so enthralled by smoked herring because that's what we eat all the time and of course, I'm like, oh, I had to sort of explain, no, this is just, you know, food that we, we love. Smoked fish? Good Lord. You know, we love, yeah. we love that. So yeah, Trader Joe's, it's not, it's not the same. You gotta, you gotta do stuff with it, but like, uh, it's, it's staple. Yeah. Yeah, I can't, if I don't have, um, if I don't have almoso in my, in my kitchen, I just feel like I was, I, I, there's nothing to eat. <laughs> it's my favorite, favorite food. So cool. Is the I one from Trader Joe's? Oh, sorry. Yeah, it is. Is the one from Trader Joe's like 
is it coming like a sauce like is it is it dry like is it dry like it's not dry um it's it's not dry no it's it's in like a it's kind of an oily yeah yeah kind of like sardini like yeah Mm -hmm. yeah but it's smoked so Um, (laughs) yeah and so what would be like a quick sauce with that like if you so so say i go to trader joe's um and i get this Rice, because I also just rice, rice, rice. rice. Okay. I mean, you know, when I was growing up, my mother used to get the salted cod in the. They'd come in these like, this is the Bay Area. They'd come in these um, wooden boxes, and it's salted, and she'd have to soak it overnight, and all this other stuff, and then she just put it in the white rice, and then we would just eat that. That's that's what we're eating. Um, So like rice and smoked fish. Or salted fish or whatever is like <laughs> it's wonderful. So this this woman that you had to explain smoked fish to. This is my issue with I just I don't know. I, this this can turn into a whole different conversation, but I really struggle with folks who um are really um narrow in their view of the world. Cause there's I haven't met a single person from another culture who's not about smoked fish. Asian she, people like smoked fish. Mexicans like smoked fish. Indian she people thought like it was fish. she thought it was like we were Norwegian or something. Like we, we have some sort of like connection to like some Entire like white people. <laughs> goes back to Harry and Megan. Um, also, also, um, also really, I wanted to add too with, with, uh, art, Mikhail was mentioning art. I think it was really funny with, um, the, uh, Susan Rice. She, uh, is doing something with Biden right now. She used to work with Obama. Now she's with Biden. Uh, she has some, uh, office and it's the same office as Stephen Miller. Stephen Miller was, um, an advisor to Trump, um, just a horrible, uh, person altogether and he uh he he you know they've they've left office um so susan rice has taken over his office and she got um and i i always uh i'm holding in my hand like a big bouquet of sage and so so (laughs) she um has like a really beautiful haitian painting i i wasn't able to identify the artist um, but she, in her office, she's put up Haitian art and she's been lighting sage. Uh, I have Haitian art in, in my house <laughs> and I like sage. And so I, I, yes. So I was like, I, I relate, I relate to Susan Rice right now. Um, is, there, is there a way, how do you all, um, this, not, this is my very last question, but like, uh, did, have you heard of this? Um, is there something that you do? Because this is Wonga, basically. Like, she's trying to get rid of Wonga. And Wonga is, like, bad energy, bad vibes. Um, she's a, an American woman. But for some reason, somehow, she's somehow connected with, uh, with, this, with this aspect. So, like, um, is, there, is there anything that, that each of you do to uh, get, get uh, Wonga off of you or, or away from you? Is there... Uh, do you light sage too? Did you find that funny? Um, it reminds me of um, when I was in college, I had a roommate who knew because my mother visited where we were from and, or where she was from. And uh, we had a sort of falling out and I ended up, oh, 
if she's listening, whatever. Um, <laughs> she, I ended up, she was, she was really rude to me about like my mother visiting and it was, and it was something that was um, impeding her from studying or something like that. It's a grown woman. I, I, I was like, all right, well, you are now dead to me. <laughs> so I don't talk to you. And so, you know, we're living in the same place in the same um, apartment. And I just happened to have the chore that week to clean the floors. And I just, for no reason, no reason whatsoever, like it just happened. I poured some solution in front of her door and it ended up staying there long enough that it made a mark that to her, she interpreted as some sort of <laughs> like Haitian, like voodoo, like, like I oh, put something no. in front of her door. And so she freaked out and I was, and she, she confronted me and I was like, um, I don't know what you're talking about. And I don't, I don't know what she was talking about, except for the fact that I was just trying to clean the floors. But if you want to believe that, hey, <laughs> you know, I don't, she was, she was awful. And it, it, it's funny because it's, it's, it was really from just her rudeness and ignorance about me and, and inability to even just communicate something about um, what, what she, you know, ask questions. You don't know anything about Haiti, just ask questions. Some people aren't able to, to sort of do things and then they're expecting, you know, people like me, people of color to just like, you know, capitulate and be, you know, whatever. I just, at that time in college, I was just, I was just done, but it just makes me laugh. Um, I, I'm, you know, cleanse, I like the sage. I like that story about Susan Rice. I just think that that that's a that's a place that needs some cleansing. Yes, sure. I yeah, love that sure. story. I love that story. I feel like it's a reminder that the ancestors work through us in lots of different ways. And maybe you didn't know what it was you were doing, but she needed to receive a message in her own way that she had to translate. Um, because people like to, what I've learned in my, <laughs> in my short time on this planet Earth is, um, you know, people like to act a certain way, but they're actually not really ready for the consequences of those actions. And I think what sets us apart, especially as Black women, is that we actually stand really strong in our actions because we're ready for the consequences that come. Um, but folks, most folks don't have that kind of courage. They don't. And they, they act like they are brave. But then when they're confronted with maybe what could have been a faux symbol of something, you know, but then when they're confronted with that, all of a sudden that bravery recedes because it, it actually was never really there to begin with. That's why when folks step to me, I'm always like, well, let's go because this is either is going to go somewhere or you're going to decide when, when, how far you want to go. But I've already decided how far I want to go. But, but is um, that the Brooklyn in you or is that the Haitian woman in you? That's, that's the black woman in all of us. Yes. All of us here. Like, I don't know any of you. Well, Darnell, I know you. You're my sister. You are my sister. But y'all are all my sisters. Like, I would put my body, my actual, like, physical body on the line for each of you because we have a shared heritage period. And I, I think that that's 
what sets us apart, and not just as Haitian people, but as Black people in the larger Afro-diasporic community, there is this unspoken, intangible, can't-be-described thing that is Blackness, and we all feel it. And because we all feel it, we move a certain way. And I don't know, I'm, I'm, I feel like your roommate probably wasn't Black. Was she white? She was somebody who was, and actually really struggling with her whiteness. And um, in the sense that um, she, she, I think she had some sort of realization living with someone of color, like just, she just, she lived with two people of color, actually. Yikes. Um, that she she didn't feel like she could just just embrace who she was, and um, so embrace that was it. embrace and, it. I tell white folks, stand in your whiteness. If you're gonna be, do it. Stand in your whiteness. If you are gonna be out in the world and you self claim it, claim it, and, and then for, we can talk. Yeah, and for me, I was I I had already like just this is this is not something that i i wanted to keep in my life so i was i was just you, you disrespect my mother you're you're dead to me like, I'm, I'm tired so. <laughs> i've been tired the best decision i ever made in my the best decision i ever made in my mid 20s was to have as few white folks in my life as possible i just my whole my practically my whole life is filled with black people like from my work to my family, to the my recreational, to how I spend my money, to what I consume on the internet, what I read, my cat. <laughs> you have a proud black cat? I do. <laughs> I, I have a proud black cat too, his name's Raisin. I love it, but that's what nurtures us, you know? I feel like only we can nurture each other and, and I'm preaching to the choir. That's right. Yes. And and so let's let's uh let's do this game. Let's play a game. And so it's going to be hosted by uh, Darnell and Winnie is going to be, I'm going to pass over the reins to Darnell and Winnie. Uh, they're going to conduct the spelling bee. Um, there's going to be a winner here and the winner will most likely be Mikael because uh, she is the native speaker. Uh, but let's do this anyway, because this is going to be fun. And it's all like phonetic. So we're, we're you know, well, let's just, let's just do it and have fun. Cool. How many okay, more? so. Oh, sorry. Yeah, well, I guess we'll, it'll be, you know, pretty short. I'm trying to figure out, um, I guess we'll start, we'll go one at a time. Yeah. And uh, I guess um, whoever, <laughs> if you, uh, hmm, let's see, if you miss a word, then you're out. How about that? Oh, oh, no. Okay. No, okay. okay. <laughs> That's like a real spelling bee. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Oh, okay. Oh, All right. two rounds. Okay. You get okay. two chances. <laughs> okay. Who would like to go first? I'll go first. Okay. <laughs> so your word is uh, is compa. Oh, compa. Okay. Oh, but this is this is where so 
Okay. So, okay. So these are the rules. You have to spell, <laughs> you have to spell it correctly in Creole using, yes. Uh, yes. So I spell it K-O-M-P-A. Okay. So that's incorrect. What? It's the N. It's N yes. instead of M. Yes. <laughs> so it's K-O-N-P-A because of the, uh, the vowel sound of the O-N, on. Uh huh. Has the compa. And for those at home, that's that's a genre of music, sort of like uh, if if you know merengue. But uh, even though merengue merengue uh, might be Haitian, but uh, that's a hot that's hot, might be a hot button issue. Anyway. Yeah, actually, mer merengue 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 originated from uh, a Haitian style um, type of uh, a style of dancing, which is called merengue. Yes. But merengue is a little faster. Right, so, yeah. but okay. So I guess I'm out. All right. Oh, we'll, we'll give you. We'll give you a second chance. We'll go. Okay. We'll yay! Go yay! Okay. <laughs> okay. I'm back. Okay. Would you Would you like to give a word, Winnie? Or should yes. I? Yes. Okay. Uh, yeah, I'll I'll give a word. Um, let me see. Let me pick a good word. Um, one second. Who would like to go next between Chrislyn and uh, Mikael? I'll go. Okay. Hey, Mikael. Um, I'll try. <laughs> Mikael. Okay. So your word is, um, your word is jablotin, which is a type of bird in Haiti. Jablotin. So I would say A A. B L O T E N. You almost had it. The word is ja So to make that j, j sound, you need D J. D J A B L O T E N. Ja Oh, it's T J. Okay. D J. Mm hmm. Okay. If it was just DJ. J, then it would be Ja, ja Blote. Blote. Mm -hmm. okay. Oh, my guy. Okay, I'm ready. <laughs> You're ready. Okay, so, uh, Chris Lynn, your word is Belme, which means mother-in-law. Okay. Um, Belme. B E L L E M E. Okay, you, you got some of the letters um, right, but it's actually <laughs> B E, and there's an accent on top. So in Creole, this accent is called accent force, which is the only accent that exists in Haitian Creole. I didn't, know we, had to, I didn't know we had to say accents. <laughs> well, it makes a different sound. Yes. <laughs> yes. So the accent force is what you called accent grave in French. So that's the only accent that exists in Haitian Creole. So the spelling is B E accent force, L M E accent force, Belme. Yes, I see that now. It makes complete sense when you, yeah, this is lovely. Like I, like I, I can see it now. In my, again, in my head, I'm always thinking 
that mixture to me. And I spelled bell a French way or whatever. Right. And which is okay. And oftentimes people, for people who are monolingual speakers or people who are not familiar with bilingualism or multilingualism, they'll sometimes say that, oh, if you, you speak more than one language, you're, you'll get confused. The, the, the languages confuse you, and which is not the case. If you're not fluent in a particular language, if you're not at the point of fluency along your language learning journey, your brain will do what's called code switching, which is also called translanguaging. And what your brain is doing is it wants to communicate or it wants to say what it needs to say. So it'll draw from what it knows. So it's not confusion. It's just a matter of piecing together from what you know. But as you inch towards fluency, you're able to separate and, and, and speak languages separately and compartmentalize as, uh, you know, as any other person who speaks more than one language does. So are you guys offering Zoom classes? Yes. Yes, we are. <laughs> yes, we do. Okay. I would say definitely, definitely um, if you are interested for yourself, then you can come follow um, HCLI, um, the Haitian Creole Institute.com um, to learn more about what we do for, for adults, what we offer adults. Um, are we doing another round of words? Once yeah, more? yeah, one more round. Okay, cool. Colette, your word is banan. 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 <laughs> Mikaela, because she knows. <laughs> no, I was thinking about it. I'm like, no. <laughs> banan. Yeah. I'm doing it in the um, spelling bee format. Banan. Yes. B A N A N E, banan. Mm. <laughs> Not correct, Colette. The correct spelling is B A N N A N N. What? Ban, B A N, nun, N A N. And banan. Whoa, banan. Like yeah. banan, okay. Banan. But there's no E at all. There's no E at all. On Kukayo, there are no silent letters at all. That, yeah. yeah no, no silent letters at all in Kukayo. So um, if you're not pronouncing it, if you don't hear it being pronounced, then it's not in the word at all. I love this. I love it. <laughs> Yay. So I guess we're moving along with uh, yep. Mikael's next. Uh, Yay. Okay. Mikhail, you're next. Okay. So Mikael, your word is cast wall, which means pot. Cast wall. Yes. Okay. I would say K-A-S-R-O-L. Good try, but it's not it. No. Is it no. a C? <laughs> no, so um, no. actually there's no, in Creole, this, the, the, the sound is always made by a letter K. C is okay. only, is associated with H to make the sh sound. So you never see okay. C on its own. So it's K-A-S-R-O-L. T W O 
Axel Foss L. Cast so the word wall. is cast wall. Oh, okay. So it's not cast wall. Okay. Right. In French, the R, some words that are made by the R is actually with a W in Korean. W, yes. Especially yeah. when it's followed by uh, a rounded vowel, such as the letter O. Mm -hmm. Okay. Wait, spell that spell again. K, so the word is castwall, and it's spelled K-A-S-T-W-O, accent force, L. And normally we would spell uh, in, in, in Creole, using the letters in Creole, we're using them in English. So, just for fun, I guess. <laughs> Okay. Okay. Your word is tias which means neckline. Can you repeat the word again? The word is tias, which means neckline. Can you use in a sentence? Yes. Um, papam tal cheville et coupé tiasli coupé. Mm. Okay. Um, yes. T I A S. Almost, you almost had it, Christian. Tias en Creole is T Y A S. So we don't have wow. um, a Creole. Generally, we don't have um, any vowels following each other. Yeah. So yeah, you won't find I and A next to each other. Instead, the I will become a Y. So Tias is T Y A S. Yeah, I my was. Guy. I was nice. thinking. I was spelling it on my own, and I was. I was thinking T I A. Accent force, S. <laughs> I got fancy. I got fancy. Accent force. I love it. I love fancy yeah. spellings. Actually, there is um, a whole controversy around when the letter A can have accent force on it, but we won't dive into that now because that's like a whole other uh, language grammar <laughs> yes. lesson. I feel oh, like I, I learned uh, so much actually in just five in six words. I I just like I thank you, <laughs> thank you both for like yes. That's this is really fascinating. I love it. Yeah, this was this was amazing. Castwall, uh, castwall, belmer, banan, jaboutan for the for the type of bird. Jablotin. 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 Mm -hmm. Like it's the same sound as in judge. Not. Yeah, so, mm -hmm. Jablotin. Yeah. Yes, yes. And then, uh, and with an N. An M, yes. Not an M. Okay, this was awesome. Thank you so much. And so for more Haitian Creole Spelling Bee, um, folks should go to Clubhouse.
yes. to find you, to find Jardin Timoun, or who are they looking for? And Jardin Timoun, for, for those who don't know, it's uh, Jardin is, means garden, and Timoun is little person, right? Yes. So how, how yes. are they going to find you on Clubhouse? Little person. <laughs> little person. Well, little kid. Little one. Children. Yeah, children. Child. Yeah. Children. I'm a child. <laughs> yeah, yes. the best way to find us on Clubhouse is um, by following our club, Powell Creole. Yes. Um, so you can follow Powell Creole and you'll get notified when we create um, different rooms. Mm-hmm. Um, or you can follow me or Darnell separately. Just look us up as um, we need yeah, more and Darnell Champagne. Um, but the best way really to get the most information about us is on social media. Just yes. by following us as um, Jardin Timun on um, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. If you're on Twitter, um, uh-huh. Twitter, yeah, you can find <laughs> us there. Um, and yeah, we always post what we're doing, upcoming events. Um, yeah, roll through. Come find us. Nice. Uh, yeah, pull up. Uh, it's uh, so Jaden Timun is J A D E N T I M O U N dot com. Uh, and then the, for the exchange project, it's uh, jarentimun.com slash, slash jarentimun exchange project. Um, there's also the Haitian Creole Institute, uh, which is um, Winnie Lamour's uh, uh, organization. So find them there. Um, Chris Lane, Mikael, where can people find you if they want to find okay. you? Mikael is uh, is uh, has amazing taste, and she's an interior designer uh, in in Miami. So where could they find you? Cozyliving.com. Cozyliving.com. Cozyalvg.com. Yes, c c o z y l l v g dot com. Yes. And uh, you can find me on Facebook, Instagram. I'm Kiki Flower, and um, and I'm on Twitter. So you can find me there as well. Nice. If you want to Kiki with Kiki Flowers, that's where you go. So thank you, thank you all so much. This was amazing. I've learned so much. Revolution. It's 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 here for all of us. It, it's gonna happen. It's happening. Um, but it it uh, and that which is uh, another uh, Creole saying. Um, and I'm I'm gonna mess it up. But uh, pretty. And I'm saying it in French, and I, I apologize. But pretty a pretty. Chaque oiseau fait son nid. So see, can you say it um, in the Creole, please, uh, Winnie? Sure, it's a piti piti oiseau finishly. Finishly, so that that's a, a bird, uh, little by little, bird makes its nest. So little by little, uh, we're we're making our nest here. We're we're laying the the groundwork, and we're we're uh, letting people know that we're we're here. So thank you so much. And thank uh, you. Yes, and thank, so, you. thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Great. Yeah. Thank you. So Colette, was, yes, you have to, you have to like 
you know, write the season two uh, or season three Bridgerton where you bring in, you bring in the, you know, the, the Kristoff, like, you know, dynasty or whatever. <laughs> yes. No, I would, I, when you were saying that, I was like, wow, this, this, that's a TV show. Yeah, it needs to, it or, needs to be done. It needs or to be Prince, done. Prince Saunders, like a very sexy Prince Saunders from you know from america to haiti and yeah he never remarried i mean he never married like i i'm so fascinated by the fact he never married wow he was he died as the attorney general of haiti uh -huh. in in the north and yeah just he was engaged for a very brief moment and then it something fell apart and he he just like never remarried like that's a story. wow that's yeah that's the story and this was in the turn of the century so this is this is like eighteen. This is like eighteen thirties. Nice, yeah. nice. Yeah, that could be that could be a good story, good TV story. Please, whoever's listening, don't take it from me. That might be my story to to tell the world. Okay, so thank you, thank you so much, everyone. Check out Jardin Timun. Check out their merchandise. Um, if you have kids, if you don't have kids, um, they they have a size for you. They have puzzles. It's really cool. Um, Mikael Cozy Living, uh, she will organize your place. She has very good taste and she will tell you yeah, if you are a mess and you need, you need to make your place look nice. She will, she will tell you straight up. Um, and uh, so yes, so I am Yummy Coco. We'll see you next week. Keep your lamplight trimmed and burning. Thank you, ladies. Ayi Bobo. Thank you. All right. Thank you. All right. Thank Bye. you. Thank you. Bye. Good night, Bye. everyone. <laughs>